Good morning, everyone. Shalom, y'all. Is that how you say it? Actually, I, uh, I don't think I have an accent at all. I think you all have an accent. But anyway, it's great to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a privilege to meet Pastor Key and some others in here that came on our tour. Where are you? Are you here this morning? Great. And if you're booked to, uh, to come in uh, June, look forward to seeing you. Uh, and if you can't come in June, if you're thinking of in the future, uh, not everyone can go to a Bible college for two, three, four years, but if you can carve out a short eight, nine, ten days in your calendar, it can be life-changing. You, you'll see so many uh, things in the land, not only will it make the Bible come alive, but you'll see the geography, the geology, the archaeology, the history, um, the different bodies of water, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, the Med Sea, the Jordan River. Um, in fact, it's been proved that, based on the Jordan River, it's been proved that John was the first Baptist, Southern Baptist, because he baptized at the southern end of the Jordan River. <laughs> so he was a Southern Baptist. So yeah, uh, I came from New Zealand, uh, grew up in a Jewish family, came to faith, immigrated over 30 years ago to Israel. Uh, we were 2,000 believers in the whole country. Now we're maybe 35, 40,000. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, we, we get harassed, we get persecuted, but we're there to stay. Nothing's going to move us away. Um, we're there to make a, an impact on the country. Um, we're another Jewish sect. There's all kinds of Jewish sects. There's Orthodox Jews, ultra-Orthodox Jews, conservative Jews, traditional Jews, Messianic Jews, orange Jews, pineapple Jews, <laughs> all kinds of Jews. So you really want to come, and uh, hopefully it will change your life. Well, we're, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for God's Word. That's the thing that has kept us Jewish people throughout centuries. Even when we were living in exile, we held on to God's Word. And uh, that's what it says in Psalm 119, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And especially when we're in darkness, uh, we need God's Word, right? To be a light, to be a lamp. And this is a world where we're filled with darkness. So, uh, Isaiah 60 says, uh, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness covers the people. But the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So just like in Egypt, when the Lord was judging Egypt and the Egyptians, the Lord made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. So we don't need to be afraid. God has us. He knows where we're at. We just need to rise up and be bold and courageous. And do I hear an amen in the house of the Lord this morning? That's great. I love it when Baptists say amen. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is a psalm written by Moses 
Moses was one of the great leaders of Israel, great shepherd, along with David and along with Abraham, shepherds. Abraham was a messianic figure because to him was promised through his seed all the nations will be blessed. David was a messianic figure because the promise to him was that there will never cease to be a man seated on the throne of David. And Moses was a messianic figure because he himself said, one day the Lord your, your God will raise up unto you one like me. Listen to him. Deuteronomy 18, 18. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In Judaism, Moses is considered the greatest. No man lived greater than Moses. And yet we believe there is one greater than Moses, which Moses said would come one day. So the Jewish people, they really need to take heed to the words of Moses. So if we can have his uh, poetic psalm up on the screen from Psalm 90, where Moses is looking back at the end of his life, and you young people especially, we are blessed. Even though Moses is dead, actually he's alive because we're talking about Moses. We're reading about Moses. We're studying the life of Moses. That's why the Lord said God is not the God of the dead, but the living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, we still talk today about these people and we glean and we live through their experiences. And Moses is looking back at the end of his life, and he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Let me tell you, Moses is speaking as he's looking back at the history of his forefathers, and he's thinking, he's got a lot of time out in the desert to think about these things. He didn't have a cell phone, distractions. He had a lot of time as he contemplated on the lives of his forefathers and how they made God their habitation. You know, the Hebrew word dwelling or habitation is the Hebrew word shachen or shechina from the Hebrew word shekinah or English, which means the dwelling place of God, <clears throat> the very presence of God. We're in the tabernacle and in the temple it says, I will dwell in the dark cloud. And this mysterious presence of God, which by the way, in AD 70, when Herod's temple was destroyed, there's about five different sources that saw the Shekinah glory departing from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Five different sources. So it was something tangible that you could see. But Moses is saying, well, it wasn't the tabernacle, it wasn't the temple that was the dwelling place. God, you have been our dwelling place. Jacob, one of Moses' forefathers, he experienced that when Jacob was at an all-time low. He had lost his family. He had lost his brother. He had to run from him. He had lost his father, his mother. His mother told him to get out because... His brother wanted to kill him. Then he went to his uncle Laban, and then he had to run from Laban because of the tricking going on. He had no money in his pocket, all time low. He's out in this dark, cold, isolated desert, 
and he has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a, a vision of angels ascending and descending. And instead of God coming to him and bringing out a list of all the bad things Jacob has done, the Lord appears and says, I am the God of your fathers, and you will break forth to the north, south, east, west. I will fulfill all of my promises to you, Jacob. What an amazing mercy, grace. Look at Jacob's response. He wakes up, he gets a stone, and he calls the name of that place Bethel or Bethel in English, which means the house of God. He made it a house of God. God didn't make it. Jacob himself made that place a house for God. It wasn't a big tabernacle. His grandfather and father, Abraham and Isaac, did the same. Everywhere they went, it says they builded an altar unto the Lord. An altar was something physical and tangible that allowed you to draw near to God. This is why we Jewish people, the first book we study as children is the book of Leviticus, believe it or not. And it's one of the most glorious books in the Bible because it's all about God's invitation to come into His house. That's what the tabernacle, that's what the temple is. It's His house. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you come through the priests. The priests are there to welcome you. The priests are there to offer up a sacrifice for you. So it's not something that we should be afraid of. And even bringing our sins with us, we can come. So God, not the tabernacle, not the temple, but you, God, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And I just hope that that's an encouragement for us. We don't have to always make it a, a building or a structured service, nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't matter where we are. We have the capacity to make wherever we are a house of God, a dwelling place of God. That's why the Lord said, when you pray, go into your secret place. Your heavenly Father who sees you in secret, He will reward you openly. So have you guys got, you, especially you young guys, as you face your future, I want to encourage you, the most important thing to do in your life, not physically build an altar, not physically build a, a, a dwelling place, but have a place in your heart that you can give, you can come near to God every day of your life. Set your, your day alight with that. And I'm telling you, you put the Lord first, everything else will move with it. That's what the Lord said. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, first, all other things will be taken care of. Moses knew this because he goes on, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Can we move it on, please? You turn man back into the dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. Continue. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. Continue. Thank you. 
for, and then basically before he goes on to this next section, he's basically, as he's out there in the desert, thinking of mankind, looking at nature, connecting with God through the rocks, through the mountains, connecting with himself, the, the Psalms, the whole Bible is filled with these metaphors helping us to understand God through nature. God is my rock. God is my fortress. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. Uh, and, and so on. And so he was able to connect to God through nature, but he realized that like the flowers are here one day and they're gone so quickly, so is man's life. And it was the very famous Albert Einstein, who, by the way, was asked to be the first president of the state of Israel in 1948, which he declined. But he said, life is like a hamster. Have you ever seen a hamster running around on a circle? And he said, we are like a hamster. Life is like a hamster. We're running around in life doing the same old, same old. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, while we're on that wheel, we're looking at our past, our present, and our future. And there is the element of time. It's a mystery. One day is like a thousand, Moses says. Ten years, all of a sudden, it's gone. And one of the things that I think we struggle with, at least Moses brings it out, is while we're on that wheel, looking at our past, present, and future, a lot of the time we're thinking what decisions we made that led us to this place. What are some of the good things and what are some of the bad things? Because now Moses, he goes into a bad past experience. The Israelites, when they were at Mount Sinai, do you remember that story? Moses was listening to the Israelites complain, complain, complain. You know, two and a half million of them. You know what they say, where there's two Jews, you've got three opinions and four decisions. So he had two and a half million. And they were complaining, complaining, and complaining. Moses probably said, God, these Israelites are giving me such a headache. And so the Lord said, go up to the mountain and take these two tablets. Some of you get that joke. Moses went up that mountain and the Israelites did something that they shouldn't have done. What was it? They built that golden calf, remember? But what actually led them to that decision? It actually says, when they saw Moses delaying coming down. And I think this is the key to really understanding what happened here. Yes, the golden calf was bad, but it was the delaying when they saw Moses, they were waiting for this Moses. Who was Moses to these Israelites? Moses was everything. Because up until that moment, the Israelites hadn't really built their own faith relationship. Why? Because they didn't need to. Moses did everything for them. He was the man who went to Pharaoh. He was the man who called down the judgments, the plagues. He was the man who held the rod over the Red Sea. He was the man who struck the rock, who spoke to the rock. Then the Lord, he poured down manna and he gave them quails. 
the Israelites didn't really have to do anything. So when they were at Mount Sinai and waiting for Moses, they saw he was delaying, maybe through some kind of separation anxiety, they panicked. And they went into action. And they built this golden calf. And this is a lesson, I believe, everyone, for, for all of us, that while we're waiting on our God, we need to, am I doing something wrong? Is, is that my, my stomach, the butterflies? In? <laughs> we'll switch to this. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's a, a big lesson to learn because Moses, um, he was a picture. He was a mediator between God and the people. He, was a, he wasn't God. He was a representative of God, and they were looking to him. And we all have representatives, our parents, our teachers, our pastors, and they're great. Thank God for them. But we got to develop our own faith, our own walk with God, because they're not always going to be around when we need them or when we want them. So the Israelites, they, they got it wrong. And they built this golden calf. And Moses is saying, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Next. Thank you. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if Judah's strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Sounds a bit depressing, right? It's like, God, is that going to be life? I screwed up. I made mistakes. I sinned. Is that going to be, you know, am I going to have to pay for it for the rest of my life? The the decisions I've made have led me to this place. I've got to live with them. That's it. And, you know, I always say that God forgives us all of our sins when we confess, but he doesn't always deliver us from the consequences of our sins. And that, that's the part that I don't like. I want to take that out of the Bible. But what I have learned, everyone, is that, there is grace even to live with your mistakes, bad decisions. And God can turn it around. He can use it for good. So we need not be afraid of making mistakes. We do our best. And I think Moses, he has a remedy also or a recipe what to do in such situations. He says this, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Meaning, while we're waiting on you, God, while we're in this situation, we see our sins before us. We, we see the situation we are here in life today. The prayers that have not been answered. The financial situation or the health situation that I'm in. What do we do? Do we just sit down and wait for our prayers to be answered, or do we get on with life? I think we get on with life. We, we move ahead. We tap in to the God-given talents 
that we have. You see, my belief, based on my study in Judaism and in life's experience, is that tests in life, they're not just random. Our whole life is a test. And it's to expose in us not only the bad, which we all know when we, we have certain tests, the, the bad gets exposed, but what about the good? Have you ever thought about that? God sets up tests and trials and challenges, and he kind of throws us into it, and we don't know if we can do it, and we walk that plank, and we realize that we can do it. And we realize, I didn't know I had that in me. Abraham went through a test. The very promised child that he waited all those years for, God said, now I want you to offer him up. He offers him up. Abraham knew that he was a kind man. He was a man of faith. He was a generous man. He was a hospitable man. But what he didn't know is what the angel said to him. Now I know that you fear me. And guys, the fear of God is where you obey God even when you don't understand it, even when it's against all logic. That's the fear of God. And Solomon, one of the greatest, wisest men, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So while we're waiting on the Lord for our prayers to be answered, for someone to change, a situation to change, we don't just feel sorry for ourselves and wait. We become proactive. We move ahead and we pray, God, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And then Moses kind of changes lanes and prays another prayer. Shuva Adonai, return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants and satisfy us in the morning with your love and kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. In other words, I don't want life to just be one of regret. I want to make my life count. And Moses is probably looking ahead to when they come into the promised land. And remember, Moses, he blew it with the Israelites. God said, you're not going into the promised land. And Moses could easily have for, uh, felt sorry for himself as he looked over the, the Dead Sea to, to the land of Judea. And you'd maybe think that that's the end of Moses, but actually it wasn't. Because Moses prophesied over the 12 sons of Jacob. He transferred the authority onto Joshua, who would be the new leader. God still used him. It wasn't the end of Moses' life. So may God turn our lives, anyone here, all you have to do is look at Moses and look at the example and some of the things that he left for us. And you know Moses, as I said at the beginning, he's a messianic figure. And we know, as he said, the Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet like me. Listen to him. We know who that was. The book of Hebrews tells us that Moses was the builder of a house, but Jesus, Yeshua, he is the son. And if you look at Moses' life and you look at the Lord Jesus' life, there are a lot of comparisons to prove that 
Jesus is the fulfillment because Moses was the little baby that was being hunted but divinely spared. Jesus also was being hunted by Herod the Great in Bethlehem, and he was divinely spared. Moses was the man that went up on the mountain and brought us the law. In Matthew 5, it says, Jesus, seeing a multitude, he went up on a mountain. Moses was the mediator between God and the people. Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, whoever lives to intercede and pray for us. Moses was the deliverer, and Jesus is our deliverer. And lastly, everyone, Moses was the one who brought not only forgiveness, but he brought healing for his people. When they complained, the Lord sent snakes to bite them. Some of them got killed. Some of them got sick. And the Lord said, lift up the lift up the snake, and when they look at the serpent, they will be healed. Now Moses, not only did he lift up a snake, but it says he built a copper or a bronze pole, and he put the snake on the, the copper pole. And the sages have an interpretation of that. They say when the Israelites looked at the serpent, they not only saw the serpent, but they also saw their reflection. They saw themselves as they looked at that serpent. And this was kind of not only a, a repentance, but it's a penitence. It wasn't a quick gaze, but it was an, a deep thought as they saw their reflection, as they saw themselves. What led me to make this mistake, to complain, to sin? And it brought about healing. And I love the fact that John 3, the Lord himself said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Friends, we look at him 2,000 years ago when he died. And that what we're going to talk about this afternoon, the story of Passover. He was the Passover lamb that was shed, that was uh, crucified, and his blood was shed for us, for our sins. And when we look to him on that cross, not only do we find forgiveness, but as we see our sin, as we not only repent, but we think through deep what made me make these decisions in life. This is where we grow. This is where we find ourselves in a new way. And we find more and more and more of the mercy and the love and the grace of God. Do I hear an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you, God, for the example of uh, Moses and his reflection as we reflect, Lord, on how you are our dwelling place. Wherever we go, wherever we are, Lord, we can bring heaven to earth. As you said through Moses, we don't need to go up to the heavens and bring God down, and we don't have to go under the earth and bring you up, but you are in our hearts, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we are the tabernacle, the temple of God, and you dwell in us. And so wherever we go, we thank you that we carry you, we bear your name, 
Thank you, Lord, as you teach us to number our days, to apply our hearts unto wisdom. May we fear you, God. May we flee from the evil. And Lord, may you turn our situations around. Lord, may we sing of gladness. May we all know everyone. And may we all have a testimony of your goodness, of your grace. Lord, in the meantime, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would know your presence, that, they, that your word would dwell in them richly. I pray, Lord, especially for the young people, Lord. I pray that you would protect them. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a great hunger for your word, Lord. As you say in the book of Proverbs, that we are to get wisdom. We are to get understanding. Though it cost us everything we, we have, wisdom cries out in the streets. Get prudence. And so, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for us all, Lord. Your blessing on this body of people, even people watching the pastor, his wife, his family, everyone here, in the name of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, everyone. Shalom. Amen. I know if you're wanting a little bit more of that, it's going to be overload uh, at 4.30. So come and join us at the Seder. One quick thing. Uh, do not be quick to go because we are about to have a vote as a church family. And that will, will be very quickly. It will be very quick, so don't. we're not going to take much time. But next week, we begin a new series, Praying. And we are going to be talking about prayer for a couple of weeks. Now, to some of you that connects, I believe the Lord is stirring something in our church body. It's going to be unpacked in the next two weeks, so don't miss it. Um, I'm really looking forward to this series, so please uh, come next week. We can begin that journey together. Also, um, the Seder, and then lastly, we have a church vote that we're going to enter into. So I'm going to dismiss us in prayer, and then we're going to open up a church family meeting for a few minutes, do the vote, and then we'll be done and we'll go, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, that great word this morning, and uh, Lord, we pray your blessing upon Aaron and ministry that he has there in Israel. You are using him as a light in a very dark place of a hardness of heart upon the people there from multiple directions. And, Lord, we pray that uh, Aaron, his ministry, as well as all the other believers that are there, that you would just continue to empower them and strengthen them and encourage them and help them to be light. And, Lord, we pray for more people to come to know the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, through them. And so, Lord, we thank you for that word this morning, and we do ask for your blessing as we dismiss today and go use us for your glory here in our community. And, uh, Lord, we just um, we give you praise and thanks. We go in your name. Use us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Oh, one more thing. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of uh, a different thing. He's come all the way from Israel. There's a lot of expenses involved in that. But he has a ministry in Israel. If you would like to donate or give a love offering to Aaron uh, and his ministry in Israel, you can give that this morning. You can put it in the offering box and you just put for Aaron on it. We'll know what that means and we'll make sure that he, he gets that. And that will bless him and his ministry there. Uh, so if you're familiar with love offering, we would uh, encourage that this morning for Aaron. Okay?